The following programming is sponsored by Six Feet Over Under Productions. The views expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or Beasley Media Group. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by ELEC825. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and 97.5 HD2, part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, my Giants fan friend, as I bring on Keith Pompey mm-hmm. to start the show, this is the four-year anniversary of the Philadelphia Eagles winning the Super Bowl, so I did watch that back today. Yeah. Um, you two Giants fans don't care. But I'm just letting you know as we start the interview, Keith Pompey, you're traveling someplace in Dallas. Are you ready, waiting for a basketball game this evening? Yeah, I hope so. But can I say something? Oh, God. I've never heard someone say a four-year anniversary. Like, normally it's like five-year, ten-year. Well, it's, we haven't fit, hit five years yet. Years. We haven't hit five years yet. So it, I mean, it's dude, okay. it sounds like, but, you know, it's this thing it's like, Keith you're not looking. You know, you're not going to win another one or something. Maybe we say four year anniversary. Like, hey, you don't even say that for like when you're married. Hey, babe, we've been married four years today. <laughs> <laughs> with with my wife, I, I was just happy she kept me around for week two. So you know, I I, I get it. But no, look, until we get to five years, I never had a title that I could celebrate like that. So yeah, I'm gonna recognize this stuff. And I watch your Facebook feed. You think the whole division is trash anyway? So don't get on me about celebrating my team. Go back to hating on Jeff's Michigan team. So hey, he he, he actually started the show without saying anything. It's not it's your only responsibility of how to raise I it. Started the interview that he didn't start with Michigan. Oh. Keith, I know you were going to come on and talk some Michigan, right? Because you got takes on Jim Harbaugh and, and him interviewing, right? Uh, I was going to leave him alone today. No, you um. weren't. <laughs> <laughs> He was just starting. <laughs> yeah, well, look, there's there's really no point in like trying to hit me hard on this because I, I'm the You'll first. Agree. I'm the first person to say that right now he looks like a sniveling little baby who's run back home because because nobody would would give him a job. It's the Keith. only reason he's back. <laughs> Keith, your analysis as a newsman on Jeff's take. <laughs> All I know is that he needs to do a better job because. Alabama is past them. I mean, well, they wait. They've been by them. I think Michigan State is a better job right about now. Hey, who knows? Hey, 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 below the belt. Hey, all right. Let, can we talk basketball? If you're going to start saying Michigan State's a better program, you have no credibility. All right. So we, we're, we're okay. We're, we'll get to the basketball court. At the moment, the Sixers are 31 and 20 in third place in the East, a game behind the first place Bulls. This team's rattled off 15 of their last 19 games and wins. They've had winning streaks. Then they have a great win on Monday against Memphis and follow it up with a clunker against the Wizards. What is this team, Keith? <laughs> I mean, this, this, this is weird because, you know, I, I know everybody keeps, you know, we all keep talking about the, the big picture. Like, okay, they rattled off like 15 of 19, right? That does sound impressive. But when you look at the teams that they defeated, they they probably beat a lot of um, you know bad teams, and they and they struggled in a lot of those wins. I mean, Joel Embiid had to you know come score thirty plus for them to beat teams by five points in a lot of those occasions, right? The thing that the biggest takeaway I had is how um, they lost their last game to the Washington Wizards, and it's like you come off a huge emotional win. To, at Memphis, and then you lose to the Wizards. And then it goes back to a couple weeks ago where you have T. 
two impressive victories against the Boston Celtics and the second-place Miami Heat, and you go to D.C. and you lose to the Wizards. You know, to me, the Sixers, even though they have been winning these games, we pinpoint these losses, but it just seems like they're a team that plays to the level of their opponent. And sometimes, you know, most of the times they'll win these games. But to me, the uh, the big takeaway is, like, you're, you're playing to the level of your opponent. Like, you beat Sacramento, but it comes down to the buzzer, right? Right. Um, you, you pull away from the Pelicans. Um, you, you do all these other things. So, to me, like, I don't know if it's um, a motivational stamp, well, I mean, a motivational problem or whatever it is, or they, they smell themselves. But... It just seems that, yes, they are a game out of first place, but they need to correct some things that they expect to go far in the playoffs. Yeah, and, and to me, that's the most frustrating part of what I saw. I mean, I, earlier this week, they beat the, the, a really exciting, young, good team in Memphis and did so without Embiid. Maxi played out of his mind. I mean, to me, it was one of the most memorable games I've I've been to uh, for lots of reasons, but... Uh, then they they somehow follow that up with losing to the Wizards, who don't have Bradley Beal. They were I think ten and a half point favorites at the time. How, what does Doc Rivers do to make sure that they don't do what you're saying, which is play to the level of their competition? Keith's not allowed to ask about that. Doc gets cranky. Sorry, Keith. I said that, not you. <laughs> no, Doc says he asks good, Doc's a little, no, says he ask good questions. It is the question. It's a good question, and unfortunately it seems like it's the question that no one can answer right now, and, and, and that's the problem. You know what I mean? And and I'm not saying that's a knock against him, but the fact that, you know, you would think, I mean, I, the fact that this keeps occurring is, is a problem. Now, a lot of it is, you know, let, let, let's be honest. Joel Embiid, yes, he had 27 points, right? 27 points. You know, he had a pretty good stat line until you look at his shooting. He shot, I believe, 10 for 27, maybe 11 for 27. I'm giving him a shot or, or taking one or whatever. He, so he didn't really shoot the ball very well offensively. With that being said, with that being said, they couldn't win. So when he played, and if he's not playing at an extremely high level, um, they lose. And so that's the problem. They just need it. Now, again, when he doesn't play, it just seems like the ball is moving, everybody's stepping up. Now, and, and that one game that they had against um, uh, Memphis, you know, Danny Green was on fire. Tobias Harris looked like Tobias Harris of last year. Um, Maxie is looking like this guy that they'll be foolish to trade. You know, guys off the bench. Like, everyone produced. They all stepped up. It was like, you know, everyone had a great game. This team has to be able to win when that doesn't happen, when everyone doesn't step up. Like, And, and then when with, with the thing with Embiid, it's like somebody – like, has to be able to say, okay, I know you're struggling, big fella. Let me do it. Let me do it today. And it just seems like that's the problem. When you look at their losses, typically there are games where he, he doesn't score 30 and he may have a, a, a poor shooting night. 
So you mentioned Maxi, and and you know I've been drive, trying to drive that Maxi mobile all season. Jeff thinks I'm a little bit overboard on where I go with that one. The Maxi mobile. Damn right, I'm coming up with nicknames oh, here. So Lord. so tell me what you're seeing out of him from his development. Should he send Ben Simmons a fruit basket for giving him full time to play, and is he reaching a point where he's untouchable in a trade? I think he should be untouchable in the trade. I mean. And, and and the only reason why I'm saying that is because, you know, like, okay, let depend on who's you're trading, right? Like, if you can go out there and get Dame Lillard, right? That's a different story. I, I think he's untouchable. Yeah, I think he's untouchable. But, like, the, the, the um, I mean, excuse, no, if you can go get Dame Lillard, I think he's touchable, right? Right. If you can't get Dame, I think he's untouchable. You know what I mean? I, I just do because I would hate for him to go elsewhere and then develop. Now, the thing about Dame, if you're getting Dame, you're basically telling me you're going all in and you're going to win a championship and you have to, that season. And if you and, and if if you don't do that, then you're telling me that Maxi is the guy that's going to be able to de- develop, um, um, excuse me, bring you a championship this season. You know what I mean? So that's the question. But if it's Dame Lillard, I, I think that I would trade him. I'm sorry. But if it was somebody else, like I'm not sure that I would tra- trade him for James Harden. I'm I'm sorry, I, I'm not sure about that. I, I I don't see that, you know, because this guy is a um, you know, he gets up and down, he runs, he does a lot of other things. Um, you know, yes, he needs to work on, you know, being a a, a better distributor in regards to a point guard. But he's showing um strides in that direction. But you know, uh, you know, like. I, I just look at James, and I and, and James could be. I mean, you know, everybody says he's going to be a great fit, but I don't think he's a a, a good fit as, as as far as like Dame Lillard would be. So outside of Dame, um, I, I say he's untouchable. All right, so so let's let's talk about the guy who is touchable, but apparently not tradable. Um, <laughs> well done. Yeah. So we we had we're we're what six days away, less than a week away from the NBA trade deadline, and it doesn't seem that the the Sixers have much of a uh, of anything in the way of partners who want to accommodate them. What what is going to happen if you had to predict at the deadline, and and if it doesn't happen, how do you think the city's going to react? Will people believe it if Daryl Morey comes out and says, "Look, there there just really wasn't any deals," or is he just going to get blamed for it? You know, it depends. I, I think that at this particular time, a lot of people are looking at it like thinking. I mean, you got half of the people saying, uh, "Save it for Harden, uh, uh, Dame," and you got other ones saying, "Let's just make something to, to uh, you know make this team a little better." I think that that one would be you. You won't see how much. Well, he won't get blamed until free agency period comes, and he can't get the guy that he wants. That's when he's going to have. A, that's when he will have a problem if he can't do that. Outside of that, like you know, you got certain people believing, like, yo, don't trade him for a B level player, for a role player. We need some stars. And if he can get that star, then everyone's going to be okay. I see what you did, or you know, half the I have the fan base. But if if that doesn't happen, I think that that's when people are like, "Hey, what's going on, man? You kept pushing the deadline back, and we don't have anything." 
you know? All right, Keith, be honest. You're a serious newsman. You have developed a career. Did you ever picture yourself when you started having to write about a star NBA player sending Twitter direct messages to an all-star NBA player because he's unhappy with the critiques on television? You know what? I mean, I'm, I'm not surprised by that because, I'm, and this is the reason why I'm not surprised by that. I remember Ben's first season playing, and we were in L.A. The team was six, we were in L.A., and I was there. And Shaq was there. And I remember before the game, Shaq walks up to Ben. And they just start talking, holding a conversation. I think that, you know, like it was that LSU type of thing. And um, I feel like Ben, you know, probably said, look, man, you know, dude, like you're throwing me under the bus and you don't know what's going on, right? Now Shaq is saying that Ben doesn't have his phone number, right? So I think that, if they follow each other on, on Twitter, that's the best way to reach out to the guy, right? So I'm really not – I mean, I know it makes for a great story and, and people could clown Ben, but if he doesn't have his number, how else is he going to get in contact with him? I care less about him having no, the number and more – look, Keith, I worked in public relations trying to spin newspaper people for 20 years. The idea that his team thinks that the way that they're playing this story works – is not flying with me and and the thought that you're going to take on the critiques of an nba all-star who has a platform they used to say don't pick a fight with people by ink by ink by the barrel ben's got no outlet right now other than going to reporters and leaking stuff and when he does he does it from a position of weakness what's his uh, i don't see what's his I, I outlet i don't agree with that one what's because, his outlet you know what you know, I don't agree with that. See, because here's my thing. Like, a lot of times, like, a lot of times a reporter will bust their tail to get something that somebody else doesn't get, right? And it's based off of relationships you have with agents and clients and stuff like that. And then when they get it, a lot of people think, oh, man, they leaked it. They leaked it. You know, they leaked it. You know what I mean? Now, there could be some truth to it at times, but, but you know, but also we got to understand, like, you know, the person did bust their tail to get that. You know what I mean? Oh, I'm not critiquing the reporter who got it, by the way. From his team's perspective, I don't understand what they're doing. I, I just don't see why they think that the way that he's being portrayed, either real or perceived by the public, is effective in any way to him getting out of the city of Philadelphia and playing basketball again. Yeah, I get it. You know what I mean? I, I think that's another one. Like, I get what you're saying, but, like, excuse my, excuse my, uh, not to say, Jeff, but they better be lawyered up. If they're lawyered up the right way, <laughs> I think it's all going to work out. And what I mean by that is, is in regards to getting the money and all this other stuff, because, see, that's what they're banking on. They're banking on that the fact that he's saying he has mental uh, health uh, issues is that the NBA is going to give them that 30 whatever million dollars he's losing. So that's what they, they're banking on. And But my thing is, see, this is where the 76ers went wrong. I mean, not the 76ers, Ben Simmons and this camp went wrong. But it's initially, in the beginning, when a guy wants to get traded, they typically show up early. They don't, don't hold out. They show up, and all of a sudden, they just create a whole bunch of problems. 
You know, they, they, they say stuff to the media. They start talk, talking badly about people to a point where it's like a civil war happening in the locker room that you got to get that person out of there, right? I think the fact that where he held out and then he came back and he tried to do it, that kind of like messed it up a little bit because then everyone starts saying you're just coming back for the money. And every time something happens, like, you know, you're beating, you're leaking it, you're doing this and that. So I think like their tactic was bad, right? Well, hold like, on. Either you're going to gonna play. Hold on. Hmm? He did come back just for the money. That's the only reason he came back. He yeah, didn't, but he's, well, he's saying no, he could have showed up. No, no. He think he could have showed up. He did show up, but that proved that all he wanted was the money. He never. He's made it quite clear he does not want to play for the Sixers. So all of a sudden, everything's going to go okay once he gets there. There's one other thing. I just wanted to backtrack for a second. You said that with regard to the, he, what was he going to do if he didn't have his phone number? I'm pretty sure Rich Paul has Shaq's phone number. <laughs> I, I I am pretty darn sure that if Ben Simmons went to Rich Paul and said, hey, can you do me a favor? I want to reach out to Shaq. You mind getting me his number? He could have done that instead of direct messaging. Yeah, but look, I'm, I'm all I'm saying is I, I get what you guys are saying, but, you know, I don't really have a problem with it. I mean, when a guy, like if someone says something and you want to reach him and you reach him and you do stuff like that, I mean, I don't, you know, I may, maybe it's because not saying I'm a guy sliding up in people DMs stuff like that, <laughs> but but if, but if if someone says, but if you want to do like, it, if hey, you want to do it to Keith, feel free. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what I mean. So I, I don't know. You know, it's like it's like to a, a point right now that you know this is a, one reason why this trade should have happened months ago, right? Because of the parody that's happening. Like it just seems like. You know, each week it's just someone's making fun of it. You know what I mean? And 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 like you know, Shaq put him on blast before that someone else did. You you, you know what I mean? It's just it, it it's it's just bad. I mean, it's just going to continue to happen until he's traded. I mean, it is. It's just going to continue to happen. All right. So so at this point. The problem is 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 that Ben keeps doing these things. It's not making the situation better. Is the is there any? I know you say that the, probably the the most likely thing to do is is wait till this summer. Is there anything that you think could happen before that? And then my second question is: If it doesn't happen before that, how is the Sixers going to avoid allegations of tampering with all that's come out? What's the likelihood that somebody is going to wait for a deal for a superstar that doesn't just require getting him as a free agent, but's going to require all sorts of machinations to get him? How is it likely that there there wasn't something that we would all refer to as tampering? Um, they have to get somebody else, right? Like, <laughs> only, how say, only how people are going to say it's not tampering is if they, they go out and get uh, Bradley Bill. You know what I mean? Like that's the only way. Only how people are going to say that. You know, right now the fact is, I hate to say it, once you hear reports of the NBA like investigating something, thinking it's tampering. Well, to see if it's tampering, well, then a lot of people think it's tampering. And a lot of teams around the league believe it's tampering. You know, like teams that are trying to uh, trying to trade for him. You know, they, they're they like, man, we're hearing uh, he's, he's going to Brooklyn. He's going to Brooklyn. You know, so, yeah, um, yeah, I, I think they would have to go somewhere else. If not, people, all, all people are going to say is the Sixers tampered. 
Oh, regardless no, of what they say. No doubt. No matter what People. they do, that allegation is going to be thrown out there. I did want to ask you, before we kind of let you go, I know you're going to have to do stuff for the game out there tonight. I wanted to ask you about the coaching situation. What we've seen in the NFL this week with the hiring, firing of Mike Flores, the allegations of, that Coach Flores has, and then how that compares to the NBA, which which seems to have had a huge increase in just the last year or two in the number of black coaches that they have. Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, the whole Brian Flores thing, like, really beats me up. I mean, and, and Jeff could attest to this. Um, Jeff didn't slide up in my DM. He just texts me. Until <laughs> <laughs> so, like, he blocks me, and then I'll have to slide up in his DM. <laughs> so, so what happened is he texted me once, um, and he said, look, I can't believe that the Giants are announcing who the guys that they're hiring. And this was like, you know, because they, 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 they were literally sending out stuff to fans and media members say, oh, we interviewed this general manager today. We're in this coach. And from that point on, and, and Jeff, correct me if I'm, you know, I'm not lying. I said, to me, what they're basically doing is they already know who they're going to hire, but they're trying to make it seem like they're going out and, inter, um, you know, interviewing uh, minority candidates, like checking all the boxes. But they know what they're doing. Well, and like, I, I will be I will be the source to Jason to say that I can confirm that story because you were you were clear about it. You said exactly what was going on, and it's what Brian Flores is saying happened. Yeah, I, and I, it's like, why else would you do it? It was so so. I was like, and to me, I mean, dude, I'm you know I'm a Philadelphia guy, but I just grew up a Giants fan, and and I caught a lot of flack for it. And I hate to say, like, the fact that they're the ones that implemented this, it, it, it kind of has, like, a bad taste in my fa- mouth as a fan. Like, to a point, like, dang, dang do I really want to, like, follow, continue to follow this thing? Because I, I, I don't like it, and, and, and I saw it coming from the beginning. Now, in regards to the NBA and the NFL, like, the Rooney rule, I like what the Rooneys did. Do I like the rule? Um or I, I like the rule. I don't like how teams have used it, where they just go out there and they just oh let me I got to interview a, a a black coach today, and knowing I, that they don't hire him. And he it's, may he may be, and huh? it, it hasn't been successful. I mean, if you look back over the last thirty three head coach hires in the NFL, just three have been black. So you could put exactly that's the thing. <laughs> like, so what? So what is the, what is the NBA? What have you seen that the you know Chauncey Billups came out this week and said the N- NBA is basically light years ahead uh, of the NFL and the way they're doing it? What's the difference? Like, wh- what have you seen in the NBA that's any different? Because you know we're going to have Coach Waters on later on, who's part of the NABC, to talk about that. You know whether or not this whether things are different. And one of the things that that he that he has suggested is. What's going to happen, and we're going to talk to him about this, what, what happens when you have ownership that doesn't look like America? The NBA isn't that much more diverse in its ownership than, than the NFL is. But seven of the eight no. coaches hired last right. season so, so were black. Right, so my, my question to Keith is, yeah. is what, what is the NBA doing differently if it's not I mean, the I, ownership? I think, a lot, I think a lot of it came down to um, the timing of everything. Like, if you think about it, you know, a lot of the NBA players, more so than NFL players, were very outspoken in regards to 
um, George Floyd and, and all that, you know, Black Lives Matter, stuff like that, right? So, and then they also came out and they and they came out with this group that Doc Rivers about about social justice and 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 then the ownership group the owners start giving money to certain things. I mean, heck, if you go to a Sixers game, you know, it's like they're promoting black businesses, right? Mm-hmm. Feel like with the timing of everything and with the league, like okay, well, we're trying to be more inclusive in regards to the coaching ranks. Look at what the players are doing, this and that. And I feel like it's like, okay, let's, let, let's hire these minority coaches. Because if you think about it, a couple of years ago, the rhetoric was, well, how do you have a league where 80% of the players are black and then black coaches are getting fired? You know what I mean? Like they're not getting opportunity. Or like, you know, you had Doc Rivers, you had a couple of them. You, you, you know what I mean? It, there was a time when they were saying like, well, how come a guy like a Chauncey Billups won't get a job, but a Fred Horboy, a Fred Horboy would. You understand what I'm saying? Yep. So then all of a sudden they just start making it. So I feel like the NBA saw what was going on and they started embracing these coaches or giving them opportunities. And I think a lot of it was driven by what the players did, you know, what the union did. Now you look at the NFL and it's kind of sort of like, uh well you know you know it's, it's it's our game you guys just played it but it's our game. Secondly, the one thing is that Chauncey Billups did say is, you know there still has to be you know more um, minority um, people of color you know in front offices, ownership groups, stuff like that. Because mm-hmm. like yeah you can be the coach, but when you look at some of these teams, how many coaches are you okay? You have Monty Williams, right? But a lot of these guys are getting these jobs that they're struggling. They're there. They, they coach for a little bit. Then they get fired. You know what I mean? But, but at the same time, I, I think for, the, for them to, um, to, to make a stride. Now, it's better than the NFL, but I would love to see more people of color, um, qualified people of color in positions, you know, where they can, you know, make, make decisions as opposed to, you know, just doing the X's and O's. Yeah, well, we know that you have to go. We would love to talk about this with you all day, so uh, we'll have you back. I'm sure that this isn't going away anytime soon, but I need you to confirm or deny a rumor, which is is that you right now are in Dallas wearing cowboy shoots with a big star on your shirt right now. <laughs> nah, nah. Hey, look, I'm going to tell you this. this you know, it rumor has it this is your favorite place to go because you're a closet cowboy. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a good place to go because of the barbecue, but, it's, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it took me 22 hours to get here. Why? You, you Why? might you, you might want to use a different travel agent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just the snow. Like, down here, dude, when it snows, it shuts down everything, man. It's crazy. It yeah. shuts down. You couldn't get to Dallas. Right? Are the snowflake, you know, everything's bigger in Texas, so the snowflake's bigger, too? <laughs> Look. Uh, let's just—I <laughs> don't know—but they don't have—they don't have our version of pin dot here. I tell you, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> well, look at that I mean, big endo- Look at that, Keith, with a big endorsement at pen dot. <laughs> look, if, if it took you twenty-two hours to get there, you better eat a lot of barbecue. <laughs> bring uh, some back. <laughs> bring some back. Yeah. Uh, safe travels on the road trip. Uh, see you when you get back here, Keith. Always appreciate the time. Take care of yourself and uh, follow him on at Pompeii on Sixers. Read him in the Inquirer. 
Just remember, Michigan State is a better football job these days. Oh, go. man. Yeah. I hope your flight back's 23 hours. I love it. Have a good one, <laughs> Keith. Take it easy. <laughs> he has oh, to take man. shots every time. Every time. You know, not at, I not never at the beginning disagree, of I never disagree with him. Yeah. But the idea of saying, like, what Michigan is Ben State? what is Ben to do other uh, than direct message Shaq, yeah. I just couldn't contain myself. Like, his media strategy is one of the dumbest things I've ever it's seen. It's not a media by strategy. The way, by why, the way, why do you keep saying that? Every, He's just a baby. Everything in life when you're in the public yeah. eye is a media strategy no, if you no, don't but play no, it right. See, you're, it's wrong. But, right, but that doesn't mean it, that he's concocted a strategy. No. Ben doesn't have a strategy right now. His strategy is he doesn't want to play here and he wants to get paid. That's it. That's his whole strategy. And every time he doesn't get it, he triggers himself to do dumb things, to say dumb things. And if he has issues, then take care of those issues. That that I get. But, but the way he handles it is not a strategy. What you're th- seeing is the, the cleanup crew that is, his, that is his agent and everybody else. Every time he doesn't do what they're... Uh, We're past cleanup I'm, crews. They I'm need a not, hazmat crew look, at I am, this point. I am not a fan of Rich Paul, but I can assure you that Rich Paul is not giving him the advice that, that Ben is using. He's sitting there and Ben's going, I don't want to play. I don't want to go. I don't want to show up. I want to get traded and I'm just going to keep doing all of this nonsense. And then Rich Paul and his crew have to sit there and try to spin it. Now, they haven't spun it well, <laughs> but, but, but. It, Look, I've had bad spin before and I've still made myself dizzy. Nobody's even trying over there, Jeff. Yeah, I mean, look, you can give people the best advice in the world. That doesn't mean they're going to take it. And, and, and Ben is, is I've never, because every time I think about this, it falls back to, as you always try to figure out, you know, like we, when you get an argument and a couple weeks later, you forget what the argument's even about. It, like, if you just go back and boil it down to what Ben's issue is, Ben is upset because his teammates and his coach said something that wasn't even that hard. Yeah, he hasn't forgotten and, that. And, and, and then he sits there and does things like, I mean, the reports that came out this week about how poor Ben is still hurt that Doc Rivers didn't fly across the entire country. When he told them not to come. Oh, hold on. He didn't let them fly. He didn't fly across the country after Doc Rivers texted him and called him and texted him and called him and said, do you want me to come? And he didn't respond. And he says, you know what? On second thought, he really should have come anyway. So Doc Rivers is supposed to fly across the country so Ben can not be there? Because that's what would have happened. Do you honestly think that Ben would have met with him and talked to him eye to eye? Well, I, I mean, no. if he shows up there. He no. wouldn't. He wouldn't. He would not be ben there. Then he would have complained about what time of day he showed up. Ben, ben has done <laughs> everything <laughs> passive aggressively that he can. Yes. Right? So what makes you think that if Doc would have been there, that Ben wouldn't have come up with an excuse that he couldn't make it that day? Every time I think the circus can't get stranger, it, it, it does. It, it's it's such a shame because it it, he's, he's wasting his career. He's he's being a horrible team teammate because he's got a how do you not understand, especially we've just gone through or still going through COVID. The Sixers have been depleted like a lot of teams. They've had they've had short benches and stuff. If Ben was there, there's a player. Yeah. And and so what is going on that he doesn't understand that there can't be anybody that's on his side anymore. The the people in the league, you don't hear a whole bunch of people standing up for him. No, and look, the one thing I didn't ask Keith is Shaq, I get that he doesn't like the criticism, but the substance of his criticism is basically Ben is killing the golden goose. 
he he said Michael laid the groundwork for him to do well. Mm-hmm. He laid the groundwork for Garnett. Garnett, like they laid the groundwork for each other to do well. And Ben is screwing up that system for them. Mm-hmm. That's something that like the players, the players' association hasn't come out and said we've got Ben's back either because they know well, he's killing ha- the Golden they, Goose. They've, they've half-hearted come out. You They're know, doing the pre- as the little of- as possible to show that they are still representing him. Right, because they don't know what he's going to say next. It, 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 it's not uh, equivalent. It's not equal. But the, f- the fact is, it's like, how could the NFL Association come out and support Antonio Brown? Like, you, you, when you don't know what they're going to do next, and you know that you can't sit down with them and develop a strategy, that's what, the, that's what a union is supposed to represent its members. So what you should be doing is the union sh- needs to sit down with Ben and his team and work out a strategy. But as I said to you before, there is no strategy. Ben, the person who is the subject of the strategy, has to go along and be participate in the strategy. And Ben's not willing to participate. Like I wonder what he's doing all day, because because here's the one thing I know that he's not doing, or at least my suspicion is he's not he's not sh- practicing shooting better. He, I guarantee you, he's not doing a thousand th- free, free throws a game. With all this time off. You haven't seen any video of him except for Cherry Hill High School. <laughs> right? That's going to do it, man. <laughs> Think about it. What, what, why is he not, if he's, if he's working hard, why are we not hearing that from him? In yeah. fact, what we've heard from his team is, well, you know, he's going to need a couple weeks once he gets traded. Why? You may need a couple weeks to learn the offense and the defense, but you should be ready to go. What should... What should come out of any person looking for a job? I'll be ready. Who wants to work is tell me where to be and when to be there and I'm ready, right? Have and you ever said say, anything else in an interview other than that? When they've asked the question to you, when can you start? As soon as I can, I'm ready to go. Not, you know, need some time. That's going to be the word before the break. When we come back, we'll go right to our interview and bring on Coach Gary Waters and then come back and talk about it. Stick with us. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. All right, here we go. Let's get into it, Jeff. Uh, let's keep the conversation going, talking basketball. One of our favorites, coach and author of 10 Principles of Character, Coach Gary Waters. We always appreciate you making some time for us. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing fabulous. Jason, hey, it's, it's nice here. The weather's nice. I can't ask you how it's going there, but I know... <laughs> It's very nice. Well, you can ask, but we won't be we won't be happy. Look, you, you you spent enough years at Rutgers. You know what Jersey winters are like. So it's you know it was oh, yes, it was snowing the other day, and it's raining right now, and then it'll freeze tonight. So we're we're all good. You yourself are actually <laughs> headed out to Cleveland. You were saying, tell us what you're going to do there. You get some interesting experiences. Oh yes, you know it, as as you know, I was a coach there for uh, for 13 years at Cleveland and Cleveland State. And uh, and the athletic director I had for the first five years was a person by the name of Lee Reed, close friend of mine. And he's now the athletic director at Georgetown University. And he's getting inducted in the Hall of Fame on Saturday. 
So I'm going to go there to support him. You know, he was one of the reasons why I went there, or actually one of the primary reasons why I went there. And I just want to show him some support. You know, Coach, you talk about Georgetown. Uh, We've had uh, Jesse Washington, who wrote a book with uh, John Thompson in the past, um, to talk about the the role that John Thompson had in uh, progressing things with regard to minority hires. And, and oh, yes, and so you you yourself has been, have been very involved in the NABC, and and we're de- we're dealing with right now, especially this week, with the the NFL and the trouble that it's having, uh, getting their hands around promoting qualified um, coaches that are that are different than the norm. What has it been like in college to to see how things have progressed over the course of your career? And and what have you thought about what is going on with Brian Flores, the allegations that he's made, and the way things seem to keep going in in the NFL? Well, you know, when you think about what you just said and you asked the first one of the statements you made was, how is it going in college? You know, college is having the same problems. And uh, and they're trying to promote and, and work hard to move the, move uh, people of color forward. And uh, and, I, you know, and I think, you know, everything starts at the top. You know, we we try to look at the, the the immediate person that the coach would talk to or go for to be higher, meaning the athletic director or, or the associate athletic director. But it, it, it goes much higher than that. And in order f- for that to happen. You know, I think there's two things has to happen. You got to change heart and you got to change thinking because thinking is going back to the old school way. And and when and when you think about the NFL, the old school way, you know, did not allow coaches to go that far. I mean, that was that was their whole makeup. And now today we, we seem to have a similar problem because I think we still have a lot of old school people at the very, very top of the sport. Well, you know, you you mentioned we. I mean, you mentioned what the problem is at the top with the NFL. I was surprised to hear you say that that you think the problem still exists in college. So, so because only and the reason, just my opinion, is why I would think otherwise is because most of them are public universities, which are often uh, at the at the forefront of dealing with issues like this, and that it would be harder for public institutions to do that. What do you see as the obstacles that still exist in college? Well, you know, the same thing is uh, trying to get people at the table immediately to be to be a part of the process. You know, you, you, you can't move forward unless you're in the process. And uh, and what is happening is still at the collegiate level. You know, I think I, I don't know the numbers. Uh, I remember when I left, it was only maybe uh, 12 African-American head coaches at, at Division One uh, college basketball. So, I mean, at high major, you know, in the power five conferences. So think about it, just 12 coaches and, and, and you're dealing with maybe. Yeah, it hasn't, it hasn't improved much coach. And as of 2020, according to the NCAA demographics database, just 13 of the power six head coaches out of 77 were black. Um, and so, but then you, then you saw in 2021, 51% of the men's coaches and 47% of the women's coaches that were hired have been black. So, what are the initiatives? Has something helped that jump? Is it just the attention that's being paid to it? Obviously, it's not fast enough, but it does seem like they're they're making a little progress over where they were, which isn't and, a good place. And I think they are. And I think it's because of the focus. I think they're putting a, a focus on diversity. Uh, 
And I and and I don't think you can only put it in athletics. I think you got to put it throughout the entire institution. So everyone thinks it's important because right, you know, at the beginning stages, I think they, you know, they they want this to happen. But if if you know only a few think it's important, you're not gonna have it's not gonna move very fast. And uh and you know, like and I know what what we're talking about is we're talking about the NFL. And when we think about the NFL, uh you know, think who's at the top of this, the owners, the owners and, and, and their, and their mindset from where they come from, you know, think about, I think, what is it? Just one in the NFL today. And that's, that's the person who created the rule. And if you look at the, the general managers or team presidents, only one, the Washington football team has a a black man at at the head there. So, I mean, there there are definitely problems at the upper levels of these organizations in terms of diversity. Well, and, and when you when you think about it is that's where it all starts. And if if we're going to make any change or have any effect on change, it has to happen at the, the at the at the administrative level. I want to say at the top, but at the administrative level. And uh, and we ha- and in order for someone there to think, you know, that's important, then we need to get more people in the administrative level. You know, since I have the lawyer here, I'm going to preface this by these are all allegations. Okay, (laughs) I always have to make sure with with my guy across the table here that I say it that way. But some of the concerning things that came out in this NFL case, one was that Brian Flores felt that uh, the Giants had decided beforehand to hire a different coach and that his interview was sort of a sham. Um, Obviously, the Giants will deny that. But from a coach perspective, can you talk about what preparation goes into this and how important it is for that coach to go? Because I felt like it was an unfair situation to put Brian Flores in to decide and say, should you go forward with an interview that you believe has already been given to somebody else or miss that opportunity? Why does he have to make that decision when he should just be able to go over there and pinch himself? Well, I, I think it's important to be in the process and, and to get experience within the process. And once you are in the process, they know who you are. So maybe it didn't work out that time, but the next time it, it could work out for you. But you know what? I, you know, and it, we're being real here, guys, being real. In most uh, jobs, they already know who they want. I mean, they, they're not they're not waiting and saying, let's wait to the last moment and decide who comes in here and do the best job even though that happens sometimes, but they, you know, they have people ahead that they're thinking about. Okay. That uh, now someone can go into the interview process and blow them out of the water. And before you know it, they're saying, okay, yeah. And, and that's what, uh, uh, at uh, Pittsburgh. Yeah, that happened. My, my, that's what happened to Mike Tomlin. Yeah. Mike Tomlin. And so, but it, it, it usually doesn't work that way. And so, uh, what we need is to put, the faces in front of the people that are making these decisions. The problem with that is, is that the major face is the owner of the, of the business that's making decisions and you don't get an opportunity to be in front of that person. So that person literally has to have a heart for this, meaning he wants diversity within his program or it's not going to happen. Yeah. So, so, so what's the answer to that is, is the, see, so here's what I'm struggling with. As Jason said, Brian Flores spent a lot of time preparing for an interview. The, the, the Rooney rule is well-intentioned in that it does get people 
in front of those people to talk. But as you said, they've already made up their mind so many of those times unless you can blow them out of the water, which isn't necessarily how most people get a job. It, it's who's the most qualified, not necessarily who can, who can put on the best show. And, 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 and so Brian Flores, if his allegations are to be believed, and let's just assume it for this discussion, Brian Flores went to an interview prepared to do something and, and what he's saying is it was a sham. And, and you're not going to advance people if you have already made up your mind because you're not going to take the process seriously. Yeah, right. you can go into it and you can sit there and you can have that discussion, but you're not really, your heart's not in having the discussion. And then I don't think it advances. I don't think it's helping Brian Flores to go to interviews where, where people are not seriously considering him to the point that he's in the front of their mind next time or if the, a general manager goes to another organization and decides. So hat, so is, is the only like real answer to, to hire lower and then ha- pr- have people progress through the organization so that there is that demographic or is the answer or a combination of it also that ownership needs to look differently? You know, and that's where I'm headed toward. The ownership has to make a change. And and I think it's and it can't just be within one level. It's got to be all levels. And they have to really look at this as an important factor within their organization, because if they don't, it's, they'll just go through the motions, as you indicated before. You know, uh, uh, oh. an example, let me just give you this. You know, decisions are usually made in, in what we call the, the C-suite. You've heard that before, right? Yes. And they're made there. And so they, they don't let me in there, coach. Pardon? They don't let me in there, coach. <laughs> they, don't, they don't let Jason in. <laughs> <laughs> and if, if you're not in, in, in that group of people and you're not sitting down making those type of decisions, how, how can you bring diversity into that room? So what I'm trying to say is we have to they have to think differently. They have to bring in a, a person that they feel, you know, let's let's understand this. You know, and another thought I had was, you know, the NBA is is doing a much better job, okay, than many of the professional teams. We know that. Why? And, well, I, I think they've made a, a, a concerted effort to say we're going we're going to make a change. And he and 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 the commissioner has talked to all the owners about this. And I think that's the same thing that has to happen in the NFL. But I also think this. I think they need to have like a round table with the owners in the NBA to say, hey, how? why did you make this decision? And to get some understanding of this whole process, because I don't think they're even close to understanding. Well, that's the, the concern is that it seems like, look, I've I've worked in public relations for 20 years. I understand appearance being reality. They're trying to put on an appearance that's different than the reality. It just doesn't match. And until those paths converge, you're not going to make any progress. If you're only worried about the appearance and not dealing with the systemic issues that are causing it, you're not going to change the situation. I mean, it just, I don't see how you make that better at that point. I did, I did want to talk to you about a power and the, the changes. Last time we had you on, it was right after the name, image, and likeness decision changed. There was a lot of questions about what that would be like. I'm, right. I wanted to get your thoughts on what you've seen so far and what you're hearing from coaches about, does this hurt them? Does this help them? How does it change the playing field from a coach's perspective? 
Well, from a coach's perspective, what I'm hearing is that they're they're having a few struggles because uh, you know certain groups are coming in and being strong where the others can't can't com- compete with them, and and so on the recruiting trail, you know the top recruits are looking at where they can get the best deal at now, and now they got to change their whole thinking process, you know, and uh, and and not only in trying to get the top recruit, but they also have to have a thinking process. What about that uh, that four star recruit? Should we go in that direction and 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 make that person better? So now it's not as much putting people into the you know into the different boxes. It's now you gotta you gotta you gotta teach and develop now if if you want to have a successful program. You know, I, I did want to ask you about. I- I saw something fascinating that one of the HBCUs was doing. Grambling State announced a name, image, and likeness deal for all of their scholarship athletes. So they're going to receive annual income for the NIL to sponsor all athletes. It's the first of its kind of any school. Is that the wave of the future along with some specific, you know, athletes who have even more skill getting a larger deal where sort of everybody gets a, a piece of a pie and then the star athletes get a larger piece on top of that. Well, if that's the the way it's going to look like for the future, I think that's a good idea because what happens is, you know, you put the, the star athlete and give him the whatever he deserves and no one else gets anything. So you bring an animosity within your organization and your team. And not only within the players, you, the coaches are, are even struggling with this within their organization. So what, what they're saying there is let's let everyone, you know, even though we got this one company that's coming in, uh, we'll split that money and, and share it with everyone else. If you could do that, that would be pretty good. Now you have a bunch of guys all committed to, to, to what's going on there. Yeah, but these are the things that you're going to have to juggle, though, because what happens if you have one, you know, we we had on uh, a former uh, football player from a large university who said, you know, if he if he had a teammate who was getting a million dollars, the leaders of the team would get together and say, you guys, you should split that. And so so you have these issues, plus you have coaches that have to navigate all this and, you know. Uh, on a good way to end, because we could talk to you all day about this stuff. But, but <laughs> yeah. you you are the author of a of a book called "The Ten Principles of a Character Coach." It, it, is there anything that you would add to that book as a result of what you're seeing in the NIL of what the the student athlete has to navigate and and how that impacts coaching? Yeah, you know, I if if I had to rewrite this book again, I'd have to put that process in there because what's happening is it's changing the views of not only the coaches. Think about the parents, the parents and 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 the people coming in recruiting the player in front of the parents and saying, "We're going to give you this kind of money." Now parents are looking and say, "Hey, I got a commodity here, so we're going to work this now." I mean, and that's that's a whole big diff, uh, different issue. And, and now what comes into play? Honesty, integrity, all these type of things that we talk about in 10 principles. Do they have that when it comes when you add money to the process? Well, I don't know if you're adding another chapter that and re-releasing, but I do know you have a new book coming out. I, I believe you said it's kind of under wraps, getting ready to go. You want to give us an update on that before we let you go? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, the book that I, I have just completed, it's called... 
coaching millennials from a character perspective. Now we're going into a oh, whole Jeff could have oh, used that yeah, book. <laughs> so I, I could use that for my day job. If you, as soon as a copy is ready, let me know and I will buy it. <laughs> and, and I really like uh, the, the format of it and, and the direction it's going because in my research for the book, I mean, I had to do a lot of research and, and, and because I had to find out how did millennials get to this point, you know, the way they are today. And when I did all this research, I went through each generation. I mean, I went to baby boomers. I went to industrial age. And I mean, a generation X, Z, every one of them. And, and in the process of evaluating all this, I come to the conclusion there is one commonality that fit through all the generations. And? And, that, and that's the parents. Okay. The parents are what created what we have today. Yeah, well, I, you, I mean, yeah, well, now you're going to have to tell us that next time you're going to have to tell us now we have how we have to deal with the parents. And people would probably <laughs> say I might be one of those parents that created it in a poor way. So I'm going to have to wait to judge how I did until your book comes out. But when it does, we hope you'll come back and join us. We always appreciate your perspective. Author of 10 Principles of a Character Coach, author of his new book coming out when it does. Gary Waters, thanks so much for the time as always. Well, thanks, Jason. Jeff, it's been very nice, and I really enjoyed the conversation. I don't know if we answered anything, and I don't know if we're going in any direction with this, but I know the, the NFL will have to make some decisions because there's going to be some things coming out about this pretty soon. Agreed. Oh, without a doubt, and uh, as it goes forward, we look forward to talking to you more. You, you have a great one, okay? Hey, you too, and uh, have a great, great evening. All right, thank you. Jeff, it's not just the NFL. It's not just the NBA. You know, while we're sitting here today, we're looking up our own research. And you asked me how many coaches. We're researching our own research. We are our own researchers. You're asking me how many black coaches are there in the NCAA for football. 14 black coaches out of 130 member institutions, 10.8%. It's a systemic problem. And I don't know that it just has to do Clearly, more opportunity at the top is essential. More mm-hmm. diversity at the top, making those decisions well, is key. Well, th- well, think about it. Where do most people learn about the people that you want to promote? It's not from outside. It's from inside. So if you have people, and this is not just sports, by the way. This is everywhere. The more diversity that you have from the ground up, the better chance that when then in a few years, the up part looks more like society if, if if it's always the same people at the top regardless of, of who they are if they all have a certain commonality that's who they're comfortable hiring so the world should be trying to make itself comfortable with everybody i wanted to ask you about one other thing that's in the flores allegations that i texted you and you wrote back is the least of their concerns and i still can't get it out of my head So Flores alleges he was offered $100,000 per loss, Mm -hmm. which since has been told by Hugh Jackson in Cleveland that he was offered money. Now, in their fairness, Stephen Ross, Haslam deny the allegations. Mm -hmm. This is all allegedly. You told me that's the least of their concerns. How is that possible in a league that pushes gambling and they rely on the integrity of the sport for those lines? If those were my exact words, and I have no doubt that's what you're saying, that's what I didn't that I didn't mean that's not a legal issue. You, you for mean them. from a this lawsuit uh, perspective of of minority hiring. Yeah, look, everybody okay, maybe that, I misunderstood. Well, that. hold on. Everybody knows tanking is going on. Yes. Right. So the question is, is 
to me, to me, as I thought about that issue, yes, you're right. The gambling portion of this and the tanking games is a problem. The bigger problem is if you hire somebody and then you're asking them to go out of their way not to succeed, then all you're doing is setting them because then when they ultimately do succeed, how many of those co- how many of those coaches are still around for the success during after a building process? Yeah, you get rid of them. Yeah. you let them build it up, and then you bring exactly. somebody else in to so take it over. You've created the very failure for them, and that, then held them responsible for the failure you created. Yes, and, and so that I so mean, Hugh Jackson me, was one in thirty-one in his first two years, and he basically says that he was offered money to do it. Now I don't know whether he took it. And well, not only that, if you hear from other players, players were saying all of a sudden the veterans at the last day at the last day of camp, all of a sudden the veterans were all cut, and there was a bunch of people there that and, clearly and, shouldn't have been. The and starters. look, you're, you're the lawyer. John Elway and the Giants guys can can say, like, this isn't true. The NFL can say these are meritless allegations. First of all, I don't think Flores should have been fired, fired to begin with. Right. I think they will regret that a lot. But reading it, it sounds like he has witnesses and text messages and documentation. We're going to find out. And that's so, going to be some, really hard. Somebody's going to look really bad. Somebody is. Yeah. Not from Washington, though, before I let you go, because apparently Dan Snyder has veto power over whether stuff gets out from that investigation. Well, but that's not even the bigger problems. If you if you heard the testimony, to, I think it was today in Congress, about what Dan Snyder allegedly also did. We will have to get into that more next week when we preview and talk with the commanders? Super Bowl with the commanders and everything else. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.